Hi everyone, I'm Britt Duffy Adkins and welcome to Continuum. The universe is expanding and so is the space industry. With all the new announcements, developments, and launches, it can be a lot to keep up with. So we're here to help. Whether you're a space enthusiast or just starting to look up at the stars, we're the outlet providing space news for everyone. Yes, flat earthers will call us fake news and we wear that badge proudly. So without further ado, here's Continuum. And this week, we are joined once again by Tony DiBernardo, space and science communicator extraordinaire, also creator of Space But Messier, which if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, you definitely should. Tony, thanks for coming back. You got it. I was excited. You know, on today's show, we're talking with Ben Kelly from The Launch Company, and we're going to talk about our live reaction. Well, what we live reacted to last week, right? So the Starship launch, uh, the flip-de-doos, the damage to the launch base— what they could have done, why they didn't do certain things, all this stuff. And he's, man, he is an expert in the field. So it's a great episode. Yeah, Tony, I'm super excited to share this conversation with folks today. Ben is just a really interesting person with a lot of great perspectives. So um, yeah, we hope you all enjoy that. And before we get into that, you know, of course, we want to thank our sponsors this year of Celestial Citizen Broadly and all of the media content that we produce. So a big thank you to gold sponsor Multiverse Media and our silver sponsors, the Colorado School of Mines Space Resources Program, where I went and got my master's. And then also our most recent silver sponsor, Explore Mars, which this will be coming out well in advance. You still have time to register and get your tickets to the Humans to Mars Summit coming up May 16th through the 18th in Washington, D.C. I'll be there, so be sure to say hi. And lastly, before we go to the interview, I also want to promote my friend Phil Plate has this amazing book, Under Alien Skies. It just came out. What I love about it is, especially here on Star Wars Day, where we're talking about all of these like fantastic fictional worlds out in space, Phil actually does the math, does the research to kind of figure out if you're standing on the moon, if you're standing on Mars or the rings of Saturn, what does the sky look like to you? And so he kind of takes you on this amazing visual tour through the solar system and beyond. And so definitely worth a read if you're interested in just casually catching up on some astronomy this summer. So anyway, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to go to the interview with Ben Kelly now. Hope you all enjoy. So Ben is joining us today to talk all about Starship, what happened, what went wrong, issues with the launch pad that are now sort of all over, not only space media, but mainstream media as well. And then, of course, where we go from here and kind of uh, figuring out how we literally pick up the pieces here on this last launch. Very good. Uh, (laughs) That's why I'm here, you know. (laughs) And then, of course, we'll also be talking a little bit about the launch company as well. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Nice to see you both. And so I should mention, too, that before founding the launch company, Ben also worked at SpaceX for a number of years as well. So part of the reason why I think Ben is an excellent person to talk to us about this today is not only his expertise in launch and launch pad design, but also, you know, being there in in some of the early years of SpaceX as well, I think kind of gives him an extra interesting perspective on all of this. And if you haven't checked out the next 30 trips, Ben also has an amazing Substack. So I encourage people to subscribe to that. Check it out. All right. So Ben, our first question here for you 
is when designing launch pads, and we'll get into the launch of Starship itself, but when we look at launch pad design, right, like what are some of the key structural features that need to be considered? And I guess like, were these just ignored for the Starship launch here? Or was it more complicated than that? You know, in general, when you're designing a launch pad, we sometimes joke it's not rocket science, right? But it kind of is. You know, you, the key is that you want the hot fire to not destroy everything when the rocket takes off. So I'm being glib, tongue in cheek, but that really is what it comes down to. So when you look at kind of a traditional launch site layout, your tanks, which have your high pressure gases, your fuels, whatever, are generally pretty far from the pad. And that gives you, you know, takes a lot of the energy out of anything that might make it that far over. And then everything that's close to the pad tends to be blast shielded and tends to have some sort of, you know, like fond egg, which we've been hearing a lot about, some sort of like heat shielding through either ceramic or through ablative put on as well. I think the biggest feature and actually one of the first things I, I worked on for SpaceX when I joined a, 100 million years ago was the water system carries away a ton of both acoustic energy which can be damaging to the rocket and payload as well as the heat energy. And in you know the launch I've seen, a lot of what we end up doing afterwards, after a launch is you go and see what parts of the pad got too hot, You know, looking at the launch mount, looking at, at the tail, the structure. And then you say, well, we're gonna put a little water there or oh, we might add a little extra fond egg or whatever. Usually you don't see the, you know, the entire base blown out, concrete kind of going everywhere, sand blown everywhere. And so, I don't have inside knowledge on on exactly what happened. I've got a lot of friends that have worked in the program and have shared a few things, which you know probably are not public. But I think in general, I think it's safe to say, in the interest of focus on the vehicle and in the interest of speed, I think some of those kind of basic launch site things were were not used here. And I think if you talk to somebody, they might say, "Well, this is a test site, right?" And we're trying to move fast. We're trying to do these things. Yeah. And I think maybe they were surprised at some of that result. You know. They didn't use a, a diverter for this, right? It was just a, a pad, and even the pad they wanted to build was this cooled steel plate that they were going to put under it that wasn't quite ready. So I'm curious about your thoughts. Obviously, Elon said initially, hey, we're not going to do a diverter. This might be a mistake. Maybe it was. <laughs> I'm just curious about your thoughts on that whole process. Like, in your personal opinion, should they have waited until they had the steel plate? Was a diverter not having it a mistake? Like, what that whole idea behind this destroyed pad? Yeah, I think, like... If I zoom out to say maybe the 30 kilometer level here, it's hard to say whether it's a mistake or not, because sure, it's easy to look at this and say, well, you blew out the concrete, you damaged a lot of tanks. I'm sure there's a lot of other ground infrastructure that was damaged that we didn't directly see. And you've got these kind of like higher order problems that are gonna cost time and they're gonna cost money. If it's more important to get that flight data then it's not a mistake, all things told. Like if you're doing a full calculus, right? Of like, okay, we know this is gonna happen. We know that's going to happen, but for clients maybe we're working with, you know, it's like, oh, we need to raise another round or we have to hit this contract milestone. It's like, yeah, we're going to run at some risk and we're going to deal with it because we need to make this happen. I don't have the information on whether that sort of kind of calculus or, or even really arithmetic was done, but certainly from the outside, it appears like it was a function of speed more than, you know, a function of really thinking things through. Talking about diverters in general, those are something that are, really well understood. Everybody, I'm sure at SpaceX understands them well. NASA has a lot of great resources and, and there's equations and, and all sorts of design parameters that go into design of a good diverter. We design a lot of diverters actually. And so it's something that's well understood. But I will say, you know, like even smaller rockets that have gone away from diverters and launched off flat pads have had trouble because 
you're getting a lot of heat reflected back and you're getting a lot of acoustic energy reflected back. And those things can cause problems with the vehicle that are maybe not immediately obvious to the eye and which are possibly even a little bit hard to, to track down because they can be different launch to launch. So using a diverter with water is the easiest way to say, hey, we're getting that energy out of here and we're keeping things cool. Yeah, something to add to is, you know, in the future, whether it's with SLS and the gateway and getting to the lunar surface, getting there and then launching human landing system back up, to build a diverter on the moon or in remote places, it's going to be hard to have to do that every time. So I get why he just wanted to test it on cement because he may have to do that, right? Just on the lunar surface. Well, no, because Super Heavy doesn't land on the lunar surface. Oh, right. right. I mean, but Starship is going to take off from there. I mean, I guess Super Heavy is an extreme example. You're right. But but it's different, right? Like we've watched Starship take off from a flat pad and and go and do a flight test and and we didn't have these things happen. Super Heavy is a different beast. And and so, but I think you brought up an important point because those are the things people are saying. And even in a derogatory way where they're like, oh, you wiped out six engines at takeoff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, keep in mind, like, Super Heavy is not going to launch off. It might launch off maybe Mars someday if that's part of the con op of getting back off the planet. But as far as for, you know, the lunar program for Artemis, that, that won't be part of the, the con op as I understand it. So I guess my question is really, like, was anybody anticipating this level of damage to the launch pad? There was also, I think, like three and a half acres that caught fire. I'm not sure, actually. I read today... It's unclear to me if that's like officially a result of the launch, although it seems probably likely. And so my question to you is, was anybody anticipating this? And then also, why do you think the FAA approved this launch in the first place? What I want to be careful of is not, you know, like Monday morning quarterback them, you know, and just come in and be like, oh, we should have known all this and should have known all that. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not helpful either, right? But I think like the important thing to know is like, I, I think a lot of people could have said, you know, hey, I think this is going to be a high chance. You know, we don't tend to talk in absolutes, but I think there's a higher than average chance you're on this kind of like soft, sandy earth. You're going to be compressing your concrete straight down with literally the force of the largest rocket to ever fly, like probably worth looking at some of these things a little closer. As far as the FAA process, you know, all it's really about, this was an experimental flight. All it's really about is showing that you can, you know, mitigate risk to the public and to the environment. Mm. Um, and so they were able to check those boxes. And I don't, it's not the FAA's job, nor really should it be to like do like these super deep dives into every technical aspect of the program. But it is important that they're making sure these high level safety features are, are met, right? These, these like yeah. safety bars are, are cleared. I think in this case, like there's always a risk. In my opinion, it came under the bar. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, certainly not everybody feels that way. And certainly, you know, there's been a lot of like, I don't know if you follow like Michael Sheets, he kind of like tweeted this thread of like Elon in the Twitter space. And some of what came out of that, I think, like shed a lot more light on what was going on internally and how they're viewing it now. And you have to read a little bit through the like super casual positive spin that's put on everything, but <laughs> there's a lot of information. There. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's also interesting in that same Twitter spaces conversation right? Like Elon suggested that they would be attempting launch again in six to eight weeks, which feels very quick. And I know we all joke about Elon time, but, you know, what are your thoughts, you know, in terms of how long it's going to take to get through the FAA review process now and when we might see Starship attempt another launch? You know, as far as when, I think your guess is good as mine. I mean, when you look at the fact that 
we've been kind of pushing this date for quite a while up until this current flight. I think it'd be very easy to get back into that sort of cadence, cadence that I personally have a lot of history with where it feels like launches tomorrow for a year. And you're just kind of like chasing this thing through a hydro adrenaline scenario. I think the complicating factor on the FAA part is the lawsuit that was brought by the environmental groups, right? Like that's something that is probably a complicating factor. If you set that aside, you know, I think Eric Berger from ours tweeted out yesterday or the day before, like they've already straightened all the rebar on the pad. Like you guys, this is going to be fast. And it's like, well, straightening rebar is one thing, right? But like, you know, even repouring that concrete is another thing, but where's the design change that's not going to put you back in that same boat when you do this again, right? And I think that that is further than six to eight weeks out. For instance, if any of the cryogenic lines or, or valves or even tanks, you know, and I couldn't see the tanks that did get damaged didn't appear to be cryogenic in nature, but if any of those were damaged, like I can tell you for our clients, like lead times are super long for that type of equipment right now. And so I think it's just like these, I think it's true that if SpaceX had everything on hand and they were like, we're not going to make the same, you know, sort of launch error, then yeah, you could probably get it fixed close to that timeline, but a little longer. But I think living in the reality of like FAA review, lawsuit against the FAA, and just the lead times we're seeing in industry right now, I think it's probably going to be longer. Mm. Um, high probability of it being significant amount of time. Do you think we'll see it before the end of the year? It's a good question. I think depending on the lawsuit and the review, I think they could be they would be technically ready before the end of the year for sure. Yes, yeah, so like, I just don't know. That was, it's hard to guess. So physically, uh, I know has said, hey, for for things like Artemis, we're not going to be the peg that people are waiting on. For this, we can be ready in four to, or six to eight weeks. Physically, there's a chance Starship is ready to launch in eight weeks. A chance, but the lawsuit, the FAA, all that is probably what's going to be pushing it, right? If you were to guess. I would guess so. And to be perfectly frank, I would guess that they're visibly ready, but I would think that they're probably internally going to be grateful to have the extra time afforded by the FAA review to like keep tweaking and, you know, possibly work on this steel water cool diverter plate. Like I think they will be grateful for the extra time in the end, but yeah, I think there's certainly a chance. It's kind of interesting to see. I don't know, you know, what they've got spares of what they don't and where they're going to change or not change design wise, but it'll be very interesting to follow and see like, what comes out. And now a word from our gold sponsor, Multiverse Media. Award-winning filmmaker Torsten Hoffman and his team just announced their Kickstarter campaign for the upcoming documentary, Fortitude, Forging the Trillion Dollar Space Economy. Exploring the emerging new space industry, the film delves into the people, perils, and promises of a trillion dollar off-world industry. With 80-plus interviews across four continents, the production, which was co-produced by Multiverse Media and executive produced by Dylan Taylor, is 90% complete and seeks your support. Back the project on FortitudeMovie.com. So why does SpaceX launch Starship from Boca Chica versus Cape Canaveral? in your opinion? In my personal opinion, (laughs) it's because you can have the result that they had and still be halfway okay. Mm. Yeah, if they would have destroyed a historic site. (sighs) Yeah. That would have been a lot worse. Yeah, and you'd be on a Space Force installation, right? 
And having launched SpaceX off Vandenberg and having helped with the number of launches out at the Cape, there's just a lot more to work through. And I think a lot of those things are useful, but certainly a lot of those things are orthogonal to the development priorities of Starship, right? Yeah. Like going fast, being hardware rich, throwing things in the air is not gonna fly there, mm. literally. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of my suspicion when, I mean, I don't even think that they were quiet about it, right? Like Elon wanted to go to Texas because he felt like it was going to be much more welcoming and allowing him to do what he wanted to do. I think it's still true. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's definitely still true. Like I haven't seen anything come out from the local government really, unless I missed it, which is interesting because I think in most other places you'd be, you know, dealing with a lot of... Things would be very maybe. bad if he launched from Florida, I think. If there was this much damage... Yeah, do you think, like, the space community, Ben, because, like, I feel, and Ben, it's interesting because we were talking a little bit before this as well about just, like, different threads and people commenting on your post, which was super interesting, but then also just, like, other people commenting in general about Starship. And it's interesting because the space community can sometimes be, like, very, very pro-Elon, shocker of the century, right? But so the thing is, is that I think it's interesting to think about, I mean, obviously, knock on wood, it's a good thing it didn't happen. But yeah, if this was on like a historic like Cape Canaveral site, right, then would the space community still have rallied behind Elon and SpaceX as much as they did? Or would people have been upset? He likes to yeah. go fast and break stuff. And he broke his stuff. He didn't break <laughs> anybody else's stuff. <laughs> I think that's the key, right? And yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I would say certainly... I avoid certain corners of the space internet because there's just no real discourse happening, right? It's just like, it's like a lot of cheerleading, which I think is really great because I think, as I said in my post, I remember a time when there were not a lot of cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. When, you know, when I was part of the company, we were, had a lot of folks kind of like, ah, you guys are not going to figure this out. And so it's, it's nice to see that shift. And I think what I would love to see is maybe just like a return to level. <laughs> where it's like, let's just look at things on the merits and not be, you know, super fired up one way or another because of the personalities involved and just be really excited about going to space and doing cool things there and, you know, expanding science, which is kind of my personal hope and view. So yeah. I don't know. I think if certainly if things went really bad and you like say it's on 39A and you wipe out your ability to deliver cargo and people to the space station, I think that would probably be tougher to spin as a, as a positive and a successful launch. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think Focus served its purpose in that way. Yeah, and I do have to agree with you, Ben. As critical as we are being, I'm a little bit more of an optimist. He's moving fast. He's breaking stuff. It exploded. I think it's great that the progress that the entire team behind SpaceX is making on this whole project, but a lot of this is being, it's feeling like doom in the media, so we have to talk about it, right? But I, I'm the same way. Uh, I kind of wish it was a little more leveled out. Well, and I'm even coming at it from the other way where I wish some of the people who were like, it is literally impossible for these guys to do anything wrong yeah. would just take a beat. Because I think there's, it's not about being right. It's not about being wrong. It really smacks of this like Mac versus PC or Android versus iPhone thing. It's just like, <laughs> hey, chill out. Yeah. Like we're all getting better computers and phones. We're all getting better rockets to go to space. But I think what's missing in the discourse and, and I tried to touch on and I think was maybe received a little bit, but let's just look at these things on the merits and let's talk about these things critically in the sense that like, how can we learn from this company that's working at the edge to do things better in our own work and in our own approach? And if they goof up and skip out on something knowingly, then it's like, well, hey, hold on, we can all learn from that. Or if they goof up because it's something new, it's like, hey, that's really valuable. We all just learned something new about aerospace, right? 
And I think that's like the arena where it's really valuable to play and where it's, it's really a, like kind of a cool place to be. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I want to make sure too that we have some time to talk to you about the launch company as well, because it's really interesting, you know, the work that you all are doing. So maybe in your own words, can you kind of explain to folks that don't know what exactly the launch company is working on right now for its customers and also what role you see the company playing in the space industry over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, the launch company helps new space companies get to orbit faster, cheaper, and more resiliently, more safely. So we use all of our launch expertise to help customers from, we kind of say from the scratch pad to the launch pad. So no matter where they are, if we're defining requirements, oh, we need a single engine test stand all the way up to, you know, hey, we need a sub-cooled liquid oxygen system that can do X, Y, Z. We can help navigate that process by doing everything from, yeah, requirements mission, hardcore design, build operation. We build con ops, you know, or lay out and design con ops for people. So we kind of do everything from soup to nuts. And what that has taught us over the last few years as we go is that there is a lot of overlap in requirements for especially small to medium lift launch vehicles. And there's a lot of overlap in need for the operations behind their launch and their recovery. And so what we've been kind of working towards and are now starting to get really great traction on is this concept of a multi-user launch site. And as we're seeing space investment kind of slow down, you know, for some parts of the market, and as we're seeing the number of available launch sites be constrained, there's a huge opportunity for us to say, great, well, here's a launch pad that any, you know, liquid or hybrid vehicle of XY size can come and use. We can get you hooked up and get you fueled and ready to go to space. And you know that it's built to all the appropriate regulations you know that it's, if you're, say, out on the Cape, it's Space Force approved to be out on the spaceport. And so it really lowers the capital expenditures for companies. It shortens development times. And because the launch site can kind of serve as this band of requirements, it gives rocket designers a direction to head when they're trying to be like, oh, should this be this size? What's the flow right here? We can kind of help guide that conversation and, and help people along. So we've got a lot of efforts kind of around the U.S. and starting to be around the world underway where we're looking at providing infrastructure for space forts and where we're looking at bringing rock companies on for shared launch services. So that's kind of the high level of what we do. We also have a couple little hardware lines that we design and build as well, which are serve that mission. Amazing. And I mean, I think one of the really interesting parts of your story and the launch company's story as well is that you were able to successfully bootstrap your company without outside funding until exit. So congratulations on that. But also, what advice would you provide to other space entrepreneurs that are looking to, you know, maybe find similar success? Let me get my notepad. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I think really, like, the biggest thing that, that I see is solve a business problem. Don't just create a technology. What that means is, there, and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, um, helping kind of coach them through different phases. What I see a lot is like, oh, I have this cool idea, or I have this really neat technology, and I wish it existed. And it's like, oh, dope. Like, who's going to pay for that? Uh, well, I don't, the government. Oh, okay. Grants. Why would they pay for that? Yeah, grants, <laughs> SBIRs. And it's like, well, that's great. Like, and SBIRs are dope. They are a great way to get started and move things along. But at some point, like the point of the SBIR process is to hand you off to commercial and government customers after that point. And so we always joke like 
every time we needed a round of funding, we raised it from our customers because it's like the ultimate source of non-dilutive capital, right? People yeah. paying you for goods and services. And I think that that kind of gets missed a lot in the current business environment, right? Like it's about like raising the next round and moving to the next thing. And we were just really excited about solving problems for our clients. And so early on, that means we took a lot of jobs that maybe were ancillary or peripheral or like didn't really serve the mission, but they served the mission of like feeding us and paying our mortgages, right? But what was really cool is that by building that trust, which is the, the other component, you know, if you go to somebody like, I have this really dope solution, I want you to put it inside your rocket. It's like, well, wait a minute here. Who are you and, and what have you built? And why should I let it anywhere near my launch vehicle? And so we were able to kind of organically build trust over time by doing knowledge work, getting that first bite. And then what happened is we got paid to learn. We got really, really smart about all the problems everybody was solving. And we got to then take on bigger problems and we moved into hardware and we just kept kind of organically growing from there. What was great is that in kind of a nascent market-like space, you're very flexible. You're able to move with the market and respond to its needs and and give people what they need. And so now when we pitch the multi-user launch site, we've got all these years of personal experience, but also company experience doing one-off launch and test sites for companies that we can point to as proof that we're on the right track. We have this traction, we have this ability to actually deliver versus, you know, if we had sat in a conference room and and raised a large round and come out and we're like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And it's like, who have you done anything for? Right. Yeah. I will say it's like a hard road, but it's really rewarding. And it's been really, really cool, especially like to be in Alaska and design and build things that fly to space or help other pieces fly to space is really, really cool for us. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Amazing. Got a great story. Yeah. Looking forward to that memoir when that comes out. I know you're working on that as well. So, yeah. I do have to say, and I know we, we talked about this earlier. I wanted to say it earlier, forgot to, but we talked a lot about SpaceX and the Starship launch. There's a lot of varying sources of information, some positive, some negative. What I do have to say about the article you wrote, it was the least biased, most informational article I've been, even though you wrote it like an op-ed. <laughs> I read it and was kind of floored, and I think I learned the most out of one article that I did from any news media source. So if you guys want kind of like one place to yeah. see everything that happened and legitimate and reputable opinions on that, uh, read the article. We'll link it below. Yeah, it was so we'll good. link it. Yeah. yeah, great job on that. Appreciate that. Thank you all. Thanks for reading. Yeah. I really appreciate that. This episode of Celestial Citizen Podcast is in part sponsored by the Colorado School of Mines Space Resources Program. This first-of-its-kind interdisciplinary program offers certificate, Master of Science, and PhD degrees for professionals around the world interested in the emerging field of extraterrestrial resources. The program focuses on developing core knowledge and design practices for effective and responsible identification, extraction, and use of resources in the solar system to enhance space exploration and enable the new space economy. To learn more about the MINE Space Resources Program, educational opportunities, and research activities, check out its webpage at space.mines.edu. Thank you again to the Colorado School of Mines Space Resources Program for your sponsorship this year. And now I'm going to switch to Star Wars GPT questions to keep it real serious here. (laughs) So Ben, you haven't been on before, but we like to put people in the hot seat with some um, chat GPT driven questions. So these are not created by me. I just created the prompts and let chat GPT do the rest. 
So we've got a couple that are on theme for Star Wars Day. We're in our Star Wars getups here. Celebrating May the 4th. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. We'll do that. And then we've got a little competitive game for you and Tony. If we so, have time, we're going to go toe-to-toe. Yeah. All right. All right. If you could have any Star Wars character as your co-pilot, who would you choose and why? I mean, it's got to be Chewie, right? He's the ultimate co-pilot. This is a, You okay. did change your mind to Yoda. I did not change my mind. I just said Yoda also would be a good option. On the last episode, Ben, thank you for validating. I chose Chewbacca. Okay. Tony. I respect that, yeah. but I would still choose R2-D2. Sorry. Yeah, so that was my second choice. I got it. I can't okay. lie. R2's great, right? And, yeah, like, okay. I don't know. R2's great, but, like, he also gets shot a lot. And, like, little head blows up, you yeah. know, and it's like, what are you doing back there, little guy? You know? Yeah. Chewie's like, you, you can go... You could literally be on a smuggling run and like go nap in the back of the Falcon and be okay. That's true. And, and she was going to get you through it. That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. If Yoda had a Twitter account, what kind of tweets do you think he would post? That's a good one. I like that one. Well, I mean, thank you. It was chat GBT, but thank you. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, it would be like little Yoda cones, like these little like Zen Yoda things where, you know, the object and the modifier are all switched around. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it would be exactly what you expect. Could I don't, you, I mean, I would love it if he like drank a little swamp water on a Friday night and went, <laughs> you know, and went off and was like, Luke couldn't even lift that ship out of the, right? Like, what the, you know, I something like, like that would be great. Oh my God, Ben, you've got to do that. You got to start like, like a, like, like a swamp Twitter, water, like, like Yoda on swamp water account. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to seeing that. I was going to say, like, maybe he just go congressional and do all these posts about, you know, where the Jedi Council is heading, but you just went straight for swamp water, so I'm here yeah. for that. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah. I can't remember Samuel L. Jackson's character's name because my memory is poor. But Mace Windu. I, he would take that route. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Mace Windu, of course. You're good. Yeah. You're good. He That would be his approach. <laughs> he would. He would have a staff. <laughs> Right. He would have everybody run everything. Right. That's amazing. All right. Okay. If you could, actually, this is similar, I think, to the ones that you, so Tony's questions are not chat GPT. No, we can ask him. Mine are. Okay. Why don't you do yours? I liked yours. Okay. You live in a Star Wars universe. Are you like an adventurer? You could be Jedi, Sith, Mandalorian, anything kind of like that. Are you a council member or a senator? Or are you just a citizen living in the universe? I mean, is this wish fulfillment? I think like <laughs> yeah. probability-wise, I'm probably just a citizen of the universe. No, no, no. Right? Wishful. Like wishful. Those Not what oh. you are, but oh, what you okay. would want to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't ask an engineer stuff like this. Okay. <laughs> um, I would say it's gotta be it's gotta be Jedi, right? I gotta be Ben Kenobi and oh. just like <laughs> No. <laughs> I hate Ben Kenobi. <laughs> Oh no! That's Tony knows. I think he's the shadiest Jedi. Like he's so shady. Whoa. Yeah, I know. He's this is like shady, the whole thing. Him and Anakin. I have like a little more sympathy for Anakin than most people do. Oh, oh, I have zero. I love Anakin. Full sympathy. Ben. Wait, are sorry, you, man. Are you Whoa. being sarcastic? No, you do. You I like, do. Okay. Settle this debate for us, Ben. Okay. okay. Yeah. Did Obi Wan have a thing for Padme? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, maybe a little bit, I'd say. But he was also trying to help his friend the whole time. And, like, what's the point of having mentors and advisors if you're just going to, like, Not roll off on your own? They, they literally self-fulfilled that thing, right? Like, Anakin, Yoda's like, hey, man, future's fuzzy. He, like, don't make it come true. And Anakin's like, damn, I think I'm going to go make that shit come true. <laughs> 
And and so it's yeah, just like true. I have no sympathy for him. That's great. Yeah. I have no in that regard, no sympathy as well. And, Absolutely. And when I say Ben Kenobi, I meant it specifically for like, oh, the like episode four. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I'm, I could maybe I'm get more behind that. In, I feel like he learned his lesson. I'm at living a in the wild. Point. Yeah, okay. he learned his lesson. He's living in, in the backwoods of Tatooine by himself. He's you a know, lonely guy. Like, kind of keeping an eye on Luke because he feels bad <laughs> yeah. about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, so you will ideally be a hermit. <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I mean, for real. Absolutely. That's probably true. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lots of time to read. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, this one. You can always tell when these come from ChatGPT. If Ewoks had a sports team, what sport do you think Whoa. they would play? And would they be successful? Whew. I feel like it's pickleball, right? I like. I literally was thinking pickleball or curling. <laughs> curling. Oh, you know, like I've curled curling. before. Have you? Like yeah, I'm pretty good. Really? Yeah. You've That's done right. it enough to be Curling's good. Curling's a great one. I've done it a couple of times. Okay. Done it a couple of times. I'm okay. I kind of was. I'm, I think, you know what, I think, Ben? I initially pictured them yeah, playing pickleball, me. and I can't tell you why. Just these. I That's can tell bad. you why I pictured it. It's a low net, right? Oh. And it's like yeah. a simple game, a low net. They're not like gonna play the Harlem Globetrotters. Right? That's just a massacre. <laughs> Unless they like stack on top of each other. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Um, if you could live on any planet in the Star Wars universe, which one would you choose? Oh man. Whoa. I gotta remember all that the Star Wars really, planets. I know. Only the like hellscape planets are coming to mind. I've got to come up with something better. I had time to think about this, you but did. I have like a very Clear, like, top three. Can it be, like, Alderaan before Vader rolls up? Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, I think, of course. Yeah. I mean, some of these, some of the best ones are no longer with us, right? But, you know. (laughs) But, you know. But the thing is, is that, like. Wait, where are you? Yeah, what are your answers? So, like, I'm an urban planner. I love cities. So Coruscant, Coruscant. like, obviously has to be, has to be number one. Plus, there's just a lot of interesting things that happen there. Second one, because also proud member of the Humans to Venus Foundation over here, Cloud City. Cloud City rocks. Yeah. And then perhaps not surprisingly, given my somewhat controversial affinity for the early years (laughs) of one, two, three Star Wars, Naboo. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasant. Yeah, it's no nice. That, I hear people fall in love choice. there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't get over that that's your favorite movie. I can't handle that. My favorite one is this. No, okay. I won't say it's my favorite one. Some of the later ones, because I also love Ray. But you like it. But I like two. Yeah. Everyone hates one, two, three, and I like two. I think because I was at the perfect age when episode one came out and it was like the first new Star Wars. And it's just like, I think I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, maybe. I don't remember. But I was just like so jazz, and so I still love episode one because I watch it through that frame mm. where it's like, oh, I could be little Anakin pod racing like that. Rock, I'd love right? to be a slave, but yeah, yeah. By the time, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love, yeah, exactly. You get it. But I think like um, by the time episode two came, I was firmly out. By the oh, time by the time episode wow. three came, I was super happy to watch Anakin like slide into the lava. Oh like, yeah, goodbye. oh sure, wow. Wow, yeah. this is I know. enlightening. Yeah. Hot take all of his lips. Oh, off. the best. <laughs> we would also like to extend a big thank you to another silver sponsor, Explore Mars. 
Explore Mars was founded to advance the goal of establishing a human presence on Mars, starting no later than the 2030s. The Humans to Mars Summit is the largest annual conference focused on achieving this goal. Humans to Mars features senior leadership and experts from NASA, private industry, academia, STEM, international space agencies, the entertainment industry, and the innovation sector, with hundreds of attendees and tens of thousands viewing the event online. To learn more about Explore Mars and the Humans to Mars Summit, visit exploremars.org. Thanks again for your sponsorship of Celestial Citizen this year. All right, this next competitive game is between you and Tony, okay? You're playing to win, okay. all, right? all right? So well, I'm going to I'm gonna say, like, the first part of a song line. It's a space song. And then you guys have to fill it in. Like, so tell me the next line. Are we competing okay. or are we going to take turns? No, you're competing. So, like, first one to get it in there. Oh, wow. You know, so okay, like, I got to finish the song. Yeah. Finish the lyrics. Okay. okay. All right. Okay, and I'll also caveat this first one. Then I haven't has... seen these. I don't have it here. I'm not. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, Tony hasn't oh, okay. seen these. There's no way I'm going to get any of these. You'd be yeah. surprised. I didn't get any <laughs> last week, so. Have you heard of the Beastie Boys Intergalactic? I mean, I've heard of it, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not, like, a connoisseur. You guys. The we, people the people we, we that are here in this room here. with okay. us are, are big fans. Okay, moving on, because that's actually not in the questions. All right. So this first one, there's <laughs> potentially multiple ways that you could end this because it comes up a few points in the song. Ground control to Major Tom. I'm stepping through the door. Yeah, he's not wrong. Yeah, like yeah. Actually, yes. Okay. So yeah, those were none of the ones that I had selected totally here, but you're right. That one also Yeah, that is, one also works. Yes. Okay, one zero. so <laughs> one zero. She packed my bags last night pre-flight. Zero hours and nine a.m. Was it nine? Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Tony got that one. Okay. I'm floating in a most peculiar way, and the stars look very different today. Is that the same song? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, you know, there's not that many space songs. That's true. <laughs> I had to, you know. I literally don't know what comes back. Is it This Is Ground <laughs> I would Control have to, to Major it. Tom? Was no. that the end of it? Oh, dang. Anyone here know? Anyone in the room? No. For here, huh. am I sitting in a tin can? Oh. Yeah. So you know what we oh, need to hear it. I that's hope, why there's like a major shift there. I yeah. hope people at like listening to this are screaming in their car like, tin can, damn it. <laughs> All right. I feel like that should be like one point Brit for stumping you. But yeah. anyway. Okay, we can do that. Okay. And I think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me around again to find... I'm not the man I think I am at all or something like that. I'm not the At home. I yeah, we'll give it to you. All. That was close I enough. I can sing the yeah. tune, but the words yeah. are not here. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Nice. Okay. It's the terror of knowing what this world is about. Watching some good friends scream, let me out. Oh, that's Queen. Let me out. Right? That's Queen and David Bowie under oh, pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. I don't know the words. Ding, ding, ding. I don't know the next words. Yeah. Anyone here? Is it just under pressure? No, no, no. It's pray tomorrow just, gets me higher. Gosh. Yeah, I've I said know that that's like a, ten times this week. Oof. It's crazy. I didn't so does that, that mean I got Real two quick. points now? Real quick, do you, a sidebar. Do you know the history of, of that song and why it's like so manic with the shifts? No, no. Because essentially, like, I mean, it's Queen and David Bowie trying to do a song together. So it's just these huge personalities, right? Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. Bowie's like, I think it needs to be this way. Mercury's like, I think it needs to be this way. And they, like, put it together in, like, an insanely short amount of time. And so they were just like, fuck it, smash the songs together. 
And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> I got to go like, listen to that. That's wild. I didn't know yeah. that. Which actually makes yeah. me think of another dynamic duo here. Question. Mm-hmm. So in the control room, at least on the stream that we were watching, I didn't see Gwen Shotwell for the Starship launch. Was she there? Yeah. I didn't see on the video. No. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe she just requested that day off like a couple weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just was curious. All right. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Starman waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us. Oh, come on, guys. This one's so easy. (laughs) You know it. You want to get a point here? I just, I just know the I music. I even can't, even the my five-year-old son knows this. He runs around the house like screaming this at the top of his lungs. But he thinks he'd blow our minds. Yeah, I can tell you every word to Paw Patrol and Fancy Nancy, but I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, man! Can't talk about Paw Patrol. <laughs> We're uh, about to get triggered here. <laughs> yeah. Oof. It's like let it go. Okay. Last one here. So wait. So now I've stumped you. I'm definitely in the lead. I think you both have two. People. No, you have two and I have one. I've stumped you all three five. times. Anyway. Oh. All right. Three, two, one. I'll this last that. one is like, it's a tough one. All right. all right. Breathing in, you give me air. I'm living off your solar flare. I don't even understand the imagery of that. What does it mean to live off somebody's solar flare? Wait. Is this the, uh, is this the, it's a newer song. This feels like a weird, like last 10, 20 years song. Right? <laughs> if there were, if there were another woman in this room who was born in the nineties, someone would know this. Say, say it one more time. Okay. Just give us one more. Breathing in, you give me air. I'm living off your solar flare. I mean, like I literally have no idea. This feels like something like Paramore Evanescence would do. She like, said woman real. in the nineties. So I'm like, no do I need to go back? Could you be my supernova girl? Oh my god! That would be protozoa, protozoa. performing supernova girl you. for xenon girl of the 21st, 21st century. century. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in myself. Wow. I hope my yeah. sisters aren't listening. That's I like that was a tough one. I mean, that was a kind of a deep track. <laughs> <laughs> it, that was a deep lyric. In anyone who knows me know I have an obsession with xenon. So. Do you? Oh, I love xenon. Are you kidding? I was I like, talk about the right age. Like, yeah. that was like I wanted to be xenon. Boom, wanted, boom, boom. Yeah. Protozoa was like a little weird. The to be spiky honest. bleached tips of protozoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a moment. Anyway, all right. I know that we've run way over time, Ben. Here, but we really appreciate you coming on the show here today. I feel like you answered a ton of really amazing questions and and sort of just like walked us through what happened with Starship. And I know people listening will appreciate that. And best of luck with everything with the launch company. And like we said, we'll link everybody to your awesome article from the next 30 trips. And good luck with the memoir as well. Excited to read that. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Hey, thank you both. Glad to be here and appreciate all the questions and all the energy. It was fun. And as a reminder, if you want to check out our original features, head to our website, www.continuum-hq.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at continuum.hq and Twitter at continuum underscore HQ. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by subscribing to the paid version of our Substack newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's going on in space. Tune in two weeks from now to keep up to date with all the cool stuff happening up there in that big, beautiful cosmos we're all floating around in. This is Continuum, one giant leap every other week.